everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink, and joining me today is Katrina Turchin, who's interning with us this summer. Hi, Katrina. Hi, everyone. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm going into my fourth and final year of journalism at McEwen University, and I am so happy to be interning with ECF this spring. So uh, I understand you've been working on some stories for us. Yeah, so I love arts and entertainment reporting. So my favorite stories that I've written about have been about the Citadel Theatre's Stuck in the House series and their master classes. I have also enjoyed talking to the people from Brain Care Center and Mental Health Foundation. If you're interested, you can read them on the blog on ECF's website. Well, that's awesome. Thanks so much for being with us and thanks for hosting with me today. So let's get started. Okay, this podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well-endowed. Today, we're talking about new Vital Topic series, Millennials. Back in March, we talked about Millennials and money, and today we're going to talk about how Millennials engage in society. So I'm pretty new. What is Vital Signs? Vital Signs is one of the projects that I work on um, a fair bit here at ECF. Every year we produce a report that uh, reports on specific topics within Edmonton. We include some local statistics uh, about Edmonton in general and how Edmonton's doing overall. And then we can compare that to other communities across Canada because other community foundations also do Vital Signs. So this year our topic is on millennials and see how they're faring. Uh, millennials are one of the biggest cohorts here in Edmonton, and Edmonton is one of the youngest cities in Canada. So uh, we have a fair number of millennials to talk about. Very cool. I didn't realize that more than one in four of Edmontonians are millennials. There's a lot of us. Yeah, and that means that this group has a lot of voting power. So let's go to our correspondent, Emily Rendell Watson, who spoke with a few Edmontonians who are highly engaged millennials to learn more about their approach and experience. Let's take a listen. According to the latest municipal census, one in four Edmontonians are millennials, born between 1981 and 1996. So when it comes to politics and voting, millennials carry more power than boomers and the silent generation combined. Troy Pavlik is arguably one of Edmonton's most politically engaged millennials. He ran in the 2017 Edmonton municipal election, and he's the co-host of Taproot Edmonton's podcast, Speaking Municipally. I started out by asking him if he's always been interested in politics. I have always been interested in politics. I didn't always know it, though. I can remember as a kid, like, during federal elections, staying up late and watching the news coverage and having a sort of fascination with what was happening. But I was never overtly political and engaging in activism until much later in my life. I'm a software developer by trade, so... When I was working at the University of Alberta, we had a cubicle farm, so there was a bit of noise, and I needed something to consistently drown out the noise in the office. So I started listening to Edmonton City Council meetings, which are on 10 hours a day, every day. Great white noise. noise. (laughs) Yes. 
So I had listened and there came a point where I'd listened to every meeting that had happened for over a year. And I literally knew everything that happened in the city. And one of the, my friends sort of like peeked his head up the cube wall and said nonchalantly, so when are you running for council? And I'm like, ha good joke. But that was the moment that instilled in my mind. I'm like, well, when am I running for council? And that's basically the start of my overt political action. So what was the experience running like? Like, do you think being a millennial, being a younger person impacted that at all? Yeah, it's a big reason I lost. Um, <laughs> okay. Little, little bit uh, flippant there, but it's true. I did not enjoy my experience of running very much. I could never not do it in the future. I had to have done it, but it was a really poor experience. A lot of people didn't want to meaningfully engage with me because of my age, um, and they were they were very overt about that. They're like, no, you're too young to run for council. Goodbye. Um, so that was very frustrating. It's interesting what you're saying about being told you're too young, because I think that's something that, you know, a lot of folks, whether it's career or definitely in voting, for sure, politics, like that opinion that you can't necessarily form a good opinion or thought because of your age, when in fact, often it brings a whole different perspective. Yeah, my main reason for running is I've bought a home in Edmonton. I really like the city. I like where we live and I want to live here long term. So I'd prefer the city to exist in 50 years. And some of the current decisions I see our council making are not the best forward thinking decisions, in my opinion. So I thought, well, if I think I can do better, I should. And I guess that's democracy. Also, when you lose, I guess that's also democracy. <laughs> yes, that's tr true. <laughs> and so you also host Speaking Municipally, which is through Taproot Edmonton. Maybe you can start out by telling us a little bit about what that is and then why you host a podcast that you get together and talk about politics and what's going on municipally and analyze that. I hate to give you a really long answer, but I want to start with a quick story because it sort of, it, it colors why I started speaking municipally. When I was running for council, I would knock on doors and I had a very fact-based campaign. I liked to tell people policy wonk details. So in my area of Ward 11, the Valley Line LRT was a huge issue. I'd knock on a door and someone would say, what are you doing about the Valley Line LRT? Those buffoons in City Hall, they keep ruining all our streets with all this LRT. I think LRT is a really good idea. So I'd say, well, no, I really do support the LRT. They're like, well, why would I ever vote for you? No one on this city council supports my vision for uh, LRT getting rid of LRT forever. And I said, well, that's not true. There was one councillor who voted against the Valley Line LRT, and that was your current councillor, Mike Nickel, to which he said, great, I'm voting for Mike then and slammed the door. Campaigning for your opponent, not a great strategy. Don't advise, <laughs> don't advise doing that. But it colored my opinion of what I wanted to do wasn't necessarily to be a sitting member of city council. What I wanted was good evidence-based policy and an informed electorate that can make decisions based on what's actually happening, not based on populist remarks that one candidate may or may not make. So that coming out of the election and realizing that's more that I what I wanted. I didn't want to sit in the chair. I just wanted the chair to mean more. Speaking municipally is one way that we envisioned we could do that. If we in 30 minutes or less can tell everyone what they need to know about city council and why it matters, hopefully when those voters go to the voting booth, they'll have a much more informed 
and broadly reasoned vote than they might have had beforehand. And I think that's that's the goal. So why do you think it's so important for millennials to have a voice and, and be engaged in politics, whether that's at the municipal, provincial, federal level, or all three? Millennials live their lives differently than different cohort generations. Like millennials own less homes than other generations, own less cars than generations. And that's a big one in Edmonton. We have a city that's built for cars and millennials like to live generally in denser urban areas with less personal vehicle transportation. If we don't have that representation of the people who want to live that way on Edmonton City Council, this city will not be built for those people and they'll leave. And it's a vicious cycle because once you cause a certain demographic to leave because the city doesn't work for them, well, then you have even less representation and it feeds onto itself until suddenly everyone in your city is 90 and then they all pass away and it's a ghost town. Maybe exaggeration. Obviously, it's been a couple of years since you've run in the municipal election. What political issues are most important to you now or maybe issues that you've had conversations with other young people about in Edmonton? There's a big one that is the elephant in the room and that's climate change. Mm-hmm. Climate change is huge for the millennial generation. However, municipally, I find climate change isn't such a big issue to hit on a local council. There's still things that municipal politicians absolutely should be doing and that we as a city should be doing, but the grand systemic change that's required to actually combat climate change, that's more of a federal jurisdiction. So on a municipal level, the best way that we can combat things like climate change is to enable better, more efficient, and more economical urban living. So that's limiting sprawl, that's increasing transportation choice, whether that's multimodal or active transportation or public transit, and reducing single car use, and also just like living smaller, making less huge yards, less front setbacks, those kinds of changes, those are things that municipal councils can make that both make a better city for the type of urban living that millennials typically choose to live in, and also combating climate change, which is going to be the greatest existential threat of our generation. Right. So talking about vital signs, the 71% of millennials have said that they consider voting to be activism. When it comes to things like climate change or, or other issues, would you say that that's fair? Do you agree with that? Yeah, voting is... I would say the easiest form of activism, but it's definitely activism. You cast your ballot for things that matter, and you've done your part to forward those goals. That's not all you can do. You can absolutely do more and probably should do more, but it's absolutely activism and unfortunately a piece of activism that very few in my generation seem to leap on. So according to the 2015 National Youth Survey, two major barriers that prevent millennials from voting are motivation and access. How well do you think that we do in Edmonton when it comes to those things? Um, Very poorly. One of the key ways of increasing motivation, according to studies that uh, the Edmonton Youth Council was uh, publishing when they were advocating for 16-year-olds being able to vote a couple years ago, was the idea that If you vote in your first election, you're more likely to be a lifelong voter and to maintain that motivation. Edmonton City Council, we did send a letter encouraging the province to maybe allow uh, 16-year-olds to vote in elections. We didn't push forward for municipal only. We didn't push forward for maybe school board elections. 
we sort of sat on our hands on that. And I think that would be a good first step. The other part is just engagement. And there is very little engagement with millennials from a municipal standpoint. I do speaking municipally every week because I don't want to subject anyone to the 10 hours of boring city council meeting every single day. I want to distill that so that they don't have to suffer through it. How many counselors even write blogs or updates? It's You can count on one hand the amount that will update constituents weekly. So mm -hmm. if you don't watch that, how do you learn about things that are happening in your city? How do you know what matters? And especially on social media, we have counselors who are pretty consistent blockers of constituents who want to engage with them. So I don't see solid engagement with the millennial generation from our current city council. And that's a problem. Um, and that, I think, probably increases feelings of disenfranchisement with people who may not understand the process, may not have an end to the process. And that, in the end, just reduces voting. Moving forward as a millennial, how do you see our generation continuing to have our voices heard when it comes to politics at all levels, especially locally? It's a really hard problem to answer, and I don't have the answer. I've tried a lot of things. Uh, at one point, I had created a website that uh, basically aggregated and tracked city council voting records and did some statistics, hoping that you know this would this putting it easily on the web will increase uh, youth voter engagement. I had uh, ran for council, hoping to galvanize the youth vote. Spoiler alert: didn't work. Speaking municipally is a very well listened to podcast for an Edmonton podcast. But I know how many people live in Edmonton and I can say our weekly listenership is not 1.1 million. So how many people are we reaching there? I don't know. I haven't found the way or the silver bullet to engage with a generation which tends to be overwhelmingly pretty disinterested in politics. I think a lot of it too has somewhat to do with there's just always so much going on, right? Whether it's on social media or in some ways, it's I think there's a lot of people who are millennials or within that age range that just feel like, where do I look or what do I listen to? What do I choose to consume? And oftentimes that just isn't politics. And the other big part of that is the, the politics that are sexy that people care about tend to be federal or international politics. Those are the big stories. And municipally, you don't really have those exciting stories. You have small stories about, ooh, we're going to upzone this one plot of land or we're going to spend some extra money filling potholes. Those don't get huge 100,000 Twitter retweets. So when millennials are engaging on social media, for example, local stories are not the ones that tend to get chosen for retweets. And that harms interest and engagement. You know, last thing I want to ask you, you just had a big win in Edmonton's political sphere, or at least what some people would consider a very important win in their everyday lives. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It was the Mill Creek off-leash park election. And my cat, Addie, he pulled out a win, asterisk. It's a coalition government with a uh, the other competitor, Tuna, the dog. But we beat out a slate of over 20 candidates, and Addie is now the president of, co-president of Mill Creek Off-Leash Dog Park. It was the type of election that I think if real elections were ran the same way, maybe some of our problems would be solved. When you take the issues out of it, 
and you take the actual effect on anyone's person because all of the candidates had platforms, but they were all jokes. It was really distilling politics down to just this emotional appeal and people had some fun with it. And that's not a thing that I see happening in regular politics because fundamentally politics is fun. I don't know why everyone seems to think it's boring. Politicians absolutely included in this because building your city for the next generation, next two generations, that's exciting. That was Troy Pavlik, co-host of Taproot Edmonton's podcast, Speaking Municipally. According to the Case Foundation's Millennial Impact Project, millennials value all ways of giving back equally, whether it's signing a petition, donating, or volunteering. Now, COVID-19 has made supporting causes we care about a little trickier, but luckily we're an adaptable bunch. Ilya Ushakov is the Director of Volunteerism and Programs with the Edmonton Chamber of Voluntary Organizations. He says there's been a big shift in the formal volunteering space as people move to helping out from home. Everyone associates volunteering as the formal opportunity. So you go to like the food bank, for example, you commit two hours and you go home and you're done. But there's quite a lot of ways beyond that to help and volunteer. Uh, One of the biggest things the Edmonton Chamber of Volunteer Organizations have been promoting is the micro-volunteerism and virtual volunteering as well. So micro-volunteerism is project volunteering. So for example, you can knit a hat and eventually donate that hat, but you're volunteering your time knitting that hat. So that's the micro-volunteerism projects. They're very project-based. And with virtual, there's like quite a lot of more opportunities. The other aspect too is the informal volunteering. That's a huge component as well that's been really active is a lot of people informally volunteer, where whether it's helping their neighbors. A lot of people I know have been checking up on friends they haven't talked to in a while or checking up with family members to see what they can do to help. And then now that the weather is so nice as well, cleaning up because a lot of our parks have been littered. So it's really important to kind of clean up where you can and help out in that way. That's also volunteering too. I think COVID definitely provided a new lens into volunteering for not only millennials, but everybody. Seeing that volunteering isn't just this ongoing commitment, it can be more sporadic, it can be uh, quick and virtual, or it can be long-term if that's what you're looking for as well. There's, it, it looks so different, and with a lot of people kind of really diving into help and realizing that, hopefully they stick around and volunteer throughout their life in other ways as well. Like you just heard from Ilya, Edmontonians of all generations have found ways to pitch in during the pandemic. And that creative thinking isn't just limited to volunteering. Activists can't gather in person, but Edmontonians like Jackie Pierce have found ways to add their voice to virtual or physically distant protests, like one organized by CPAWS after the government announced plans to partially or fully close 20 provincial parks in early March. The idea was to show up to the ledge with your your tents and your camping gear and like camp out at the ledge to protest, you know, the, the funding cuts and the closure of numerous provincial parks. So we had kind of debated, like, would we still go? Would we not go? Like, you know, is the protest, if the protest was still on, we were planning to go and just, you know, maybe keep our distance from other people, which is pretty easy to do if you're camping and you're at a big grounds like the Albert legislature Fortunately, we didn't have to break any laws to protest. We were able to take part in CPAWS, Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. They had put on a virtual protest for the parks. So we set up a camp in our living room. We moved all the 
furniture out and we brought in two of our tents and we actually have this really cute picnic table from my childhood in our basement. So we brought that up and put it between our tents. So we would have, you know, like um, our little table and we had two tents set up. So my dad and my mom were in the bigger tent and I was in my little tent. We didn't have any flies on because we're in the house. And we actually watched a movie from inside our tents, which was kind of cool. Like you kind of felt like you were at like a drive-in movie or something, but in a tent. And then after our movie, you know, we all kind of read our books for a bit with our headlamps. And then we went to bed. And uh, then when we woke up, we had pancakes at the little picnic table. And and what was it like to protest from afar and, and not be with like a big group and yeah like how did that feel for you you know like initially I definitely was kind of hesitant like I wondered what kind of impact this campaign would have because without critical mass you just you know you don't have as big of a say or as much of an impact so you know we kind of were like well we're just going to do it you know we found our MLA you felt very individual and very kind of separated from the cause but through social media and connecting more visually, it actually had quite an impact. And I felt like, wow, like, look at this big group of people. And like, they're not letting anything stop them. They're all going to, you know, protest, and they're speaking up for their beliefs and their values. And they're not getting lazy and complacent, you know, like they're putting in even more effort than it would take probably to go to the ledge and hold up a sign. That creativity and that ingenuity of humans really spoke to me. And I really did feel the connection and the community and that was pretty empowering given that we were in our living room and physically not seeing a single other person, but virtually feeling quite connected. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I think that ability to adapt with change and, you know, take things online and connect that way in a lot of ways is so inherently our generation. And I don't know if it's really ever been as strong in the ability to do that as it is now. Definitely. I think there's a lot of people who naturally embrace the technology and social media and that sort of thing. And then there's a lot of other people who are either like quite resistant to it or are kind of like on the fence about it. And I think given the current situation that we're experiencing worldwide, it's it's definitely opening that door for people and showing them that it might not be the same, but you can still have a pretty amazing connection and still experience and share and take part in that communal social socialization that we all need and crave. And do you think that in terms of how a protest like that, where you're further apart and you've connected via social media, obviously in some ways it can change the message, maybe improve it. It sounds like you think that it's still as effective or, or even more so. I think in some ways it's actually more effective because again, people have to put in more effort to kind of like create a scene of whatever nature they're doing um, in their own space. But it also makes it more accessible because you don't have to transport yourself somewhere necessarily at a specific time, right? If the protest is like a day long on social media, you have 24 hours to kind of make your stance. Whereas if the protest is from one to three at the ledge, if you're working or you have some other engagement, you can't, you can't be there even if you want to be. So I think it does open up like this world of accessibility. You still have all of that energy and all of that connecting from people 
sharing their beliefs and their values and their voice can still be heard. Right. And with what's going on with COVID, who knows, like maybe that's how for the next while a lot of activism, especially if, you know, younger folks are comfortable on social media and that's how they can come together. Maybe that's what that looks like for a while. What about everyday activism? What does that look like for you? So I kind of call myself a pacifist. And what I mean by that is I live my life in a, in a way that reflects my values on a daily basis. And I think that that creates a lot of ripples in your everyday world and creates a lot of change. So I consider myself to have a lot of, you know, integrity and I hold myself to like a high standard and whether that suits me or not, I still live that way. So if I go to the grocery store and I'm undercharged for something, I will tell you that I'm undercharged. And if I'm overcharged for something, I will tell you that I'm overcharged too. You know, I'm mindful when I'm showering for how much water I'm using. I only clean with natural products. I go as far as I can to help in any way that I can. The Vital Signs Report also looks at volunteering as a form of engagement in the community, which I know you're involved in as well as a longtime volunteer with the Alpine Club of Canada. What does that look like? What, what do you do with them? So with the Alpine Club of Canada, my personal focus is on kind of getting new people out into the sports that I enjoy. I love snowshoeing. I really enjoy like hiking and scrambling, ice climbing. I developed a program called WIMS, Winter in the Mountains Snowshoeing. So that's a great way to get people who like snowshoeing out into the mountains and kind of looking up and going, hmm, can I get up there safely on snowshoes? And, you know, teaching them different skills about avalanche hazards and just even technique with snowshoes. People think like, oh, it's snowshoes. What kind of technique is involved? But there actually is quite a bit of technique. So my main focus is getting beginners out and women out as well. Women tend to be poorly represented in our outdoor activities and they feel more comfortable and confident when a woman is kind of leading the trip, if you want to put it that way. And if that's what it takes to get more women out, then sure, I'll keep putting more trips up on the calendar. Like, it sounds like you're really passionate about doing these activities yourself. And, and like you said, getting women involved and, and folks who are new to these kinds of sports. But volunteering does take a lot of time and dedication and passionate volunteers can really transform organizations and nonprofits and are the people who drive them forward. Why did you start volunteering with the ACC and and why do you continue to do it? Yeah, that's a great question. So ever since I was a teenager, all I wanted to do was like learn how to be an outdoor person. And I had no idea how to go about that. And I'm not the person who jumps headfirst into anything. I I check out a situation, I want to like read books, I want to take a course, like I'm, I'm that kind of person that wants everything to kind of be safer and more streamlined. So it was quite difficult for me just to get into sports in general because of that. So it took a long time to kind of find groups or people that were willing to take me out and get me the experience that I needed to feel comfortable 
And the Alpine Club for me was a really big part of that. I was also really fortunate to take part in like a pilot project that the National Club was um, initiating, which are like all these different, you know, handbooks, like, you know, here's a handbook for rock climbing leaders that are volunteering. And here's a handbook for, you know, ice climbers that are going to go and lead trips. So I got to take part in a rock climbing pilot project, which was really cool. There was probably 20 maybe 30 of us in total. And there was one or two members from every section across Canada. And that was like such an amazing opportunity to talk to other volunteers in different sections across the country about what their club does and what challenges they have and how they've done things that are, you know, really successful. And like, how can I take that back to my section and implement it? And you know, I learned some new skills and that was like, wow, like that was a really, really awesome opportunity. I feel like the more I can give back to an organization that's given me is awesome. And I think that is highly motivating to get people out into the mountains and to get them the skills they need to be successful. I think what's so incredible about volunteering is I'm sure that, you know, you had that experience of coming in and learning and and then moving into more of like a leadership role as a volunteer and then new people come in and maybe have that same great experience and they also move into into more of a leadership role. And I think that's what's so neat about volunteering is you're doing something that you're passionate about. People feel that and they want to be involved in that as well. It's a good cycle because it means that there's lots of people that are keeping the, in this case, the ACC going. And it's all those people who love the outdoors, obviously, that, that make it what it is. How do you think our generation, millennials, is unique when it comes to how we engage with things that we're passionate about or, or causes? I know we've talked a little bit about some of the causes that you care about. So, so yeah, how do you think that we're unique in that sense? Well, this is actually a place that I think millennials really shine because we've grown up with technology kind of being in our lives from a young age and we're not afraid of it. I think as a whole, our generation does a really great job of saying, here's this amazing tool that can connect me with people all over the globe or all over my province or all over my country or the continent that I live on. And it allows you to have a bigger reach and a larger voice. So, you know, if you're interested in a subject, you can go onto the internet and, you know, within hours, you'll probably already have a pretty good understanding of what it is you're after and information on it. You can talk to experts, you can listen to podcasts, you can take part in online forums and conferences. So I think having the ability to take technology and make it work for you is something our generation shines at, you know, and I do see that, you know, you look at a lot of the protests that happen, a lot of the activism that happens, and younger people are the ones that are really getting the word out there. And they're the ones that are finding a way to circumvent a problem, like, look at what's going on with the, the protest I took part in, right? Like, okay, protests are currently illegal and everyone has to social distance. So how the heck are we going to get our voice out there? And it's like, oh, well, we'll just do it online. And deciding that something is an obstacle and then finding a way around the obstacle and 
generally when you find your way around the obstacle, you actually have an even bigger ability to reach out and, and a larger audience. As much as I also think we have complacency, I think there are a lot of areas in our society where our generation and the generations behind us are saying, you know, like, we're not okay with the status quo anymore. And they are speaking up and they are starting to get motivated and get their messages heard. And I think that's really great. That was Jackie Pierce. She was part of a virtual protest in March and is a volunteer with the Alpine Club of Canada Edmonton section. Each of the Edmontonians that I just spoke with were full of social values. And that's something that comes up in this vital science topic. According to the Millennial Impact Report, millennials believe that they will change the world by working together, making small, thoughtful decisions, and speaking out for what they believe in. As a millennial myself, that makes me feel pretty good about our future. Thanks very much to Emily Randell Watson for bringing us that story. And thanks to Troy Pavlik, Jackie Pierce, and Ilya Ushkov for sharing their time. If you want to see all the cool information we found about millennial activism and engagement, we'll have a link to it in our show notes. And that's where you can find the latest updates and stories about ECF's Rapid Response Fund. We've granted to several more organizations since the last episode. And remember, we are still continuing our regular granting streams, so we'll also have links to our upcoming student award and granting deadlines, so be sure to check out those funding opportunities too. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, be sure to share with your friends. Paint it on a rock and leave it in the park. Or you can just visit us on Facebook, where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Katrina Turchin, and Elizabeth Bonking. Until Until next next time. (laughs) The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well endowed.